Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you, uh, Neil, for that kind introduction. I was particularly impressed by the way you are reorganizing the, uh, the audience uh, away from the, the doors. Uh, of course, uh, when I got up to speak, ladies and gentlemen, many people moved towards the exit. So I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm particularly pleased, Neil, that you should uh, instruct the, the audience in, uh, in that fashion. Uh, I understand uh, there are approximately 700 delegates registered uh, here for this conference, more than 50 exhibiting uh, organizations. So that in itself, uh, for those of you who are veterans of, uh, of this conference, will, will in itself chart uh, the growth of interest and indeed uh, the, the growth in uh, this industry. The uh, scale of the event demonstrates the scale of the opportunity that lies before us. So just let's uh, remind ourselves of what that is. As a country, <clears throat> Scotland is better endowed with energy resources than any other country in the European continent. Uh, in addition to decades of remaining hydrocarbon reserves, we have up to a quarter of Europe's tidal power potential, 10% of the wave power potential, and of most importance to today's event, <clears throat> up to 25% of Europe's offshore wind potential. Uh, as uh, Lena was uh, indicating uh, that uh, she and I have been recently embarked on a fair number of international travels, and uh, we went to China. Uh, I was fond of pointing out that, that China is a, a country of some 1,400 million people with about 16,000 kilometres of coastline. Uh, Scotland is a country of five and a quarter million people with 14,000 kilometres uh, of coastline. The, the reason we have a quarter uh, of Europe's potential is we have a vast coastline uh, around Scotland, stretching into not just the North Sea, but out to the uh, Atlantic. And that is the potential scale of the, of the resource. Now, we quantified that resource uh, a number of years ago and came to the conclusion that the marine resources of Scotland, of, uh, of uh, wind, of, of tidal and wave, could amount to a realisable potential of some 200 gigawatts uh, of power, enough to power a country the size of Germany and electricity requirements some three or four times over. In terms of... Uh, the next generation, by 2050, we estimated that some 50 gigawatts of that were potentially recoverable. And in terms of the much nearer at hand, uh, we think that some 10 gigawatts could be in production by the year uh, 2020. Uh, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, an energy economist uh, by trade before I fell among thieves in uh, the world of... Uh, well, I was speaking there about the House of Commons rather than the Scottish Parliament, of course... <coughs> But be, uh, before I started to pursue this uh, totally uh, low-renumerated profession that I'm in at the present moment, I used to earn a, a beer crust as, a, a, as a, an energy economist. And you know, people were always saying, that, uh, you know, what's the forecast for this? And, and people were always impressed when you made great, sweeping, long-term forecasts about the growth in the world economy, about the, the likely productive potential and capacity of the uh, developing and developed economies by, let's say, the year 2050. Uh, the one thing you mustn't do in economics is say what the price of oil is going to be next week or what the inflation rate is going to be tomorrow. That's how you get caught out. So I, I like to think, uh, as I've made that transformation between economic forecaster to uh, political implementer, then the, the real test of these things is certainly to have a vision about the future, to understand the scale of the opportunity, because that's what motivates every single one of us in a variety of different ways or at this conference today to understand the scale of what is possible. But you also have to have realistic, short-term targets, things that are achievable 
in the here and now, not just the potential of the hereafter. So both in terms of the scale of uh, 50 gigawatt potential by 2050, but also in terms of the implementation of a 10 gigawatt realization by 2020, it is the framework in which we are operating. <clears throat> now, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty obvious that as a country with six gigawatts of electricity requirements on average per day, uh, that this, the vast bulk, the overwhelming bulk of the power we intend to produce from the waters around Scotland is not going to be for Scottish consumption. This is going to be for export to our friends uh, in the south and also as time develops across the, the continent of Europe. And as we develop this offshore resource, then it has to be part of a integrated pattern of market development stretching across the European continent. Because it's quite clear if we're going to bring energy that's clean, green energy to the people at prices they can afford and tolerate, then we have to have that integrated market structure. And some of the things I say in this speech will indicate that we are starting to see the first progress towards that great vision of bringing an integrated grid across the continent of Europe. Obviously, these developments will bring substantial economic developments to our country. Offshore wind in itself could generate some $7 billion a year for the economy by 2020 as we export that clean, green energy to our neighbours. It will make a significant contribution to meeting our climate change targets and in doing so, 28,000 of the 40,000 jobs that Lena Wilson spoke about will be directed towards offshore wind development. So today I, I want to set out how the Scottish Government and the, the wider public sector is working in partnership with the private sector uh, to take advantage of this extraordinary opportunity. I'll highlight the results which have already been achieved uh, and stress why it's imperative that there's more to come uh, in the months and years ahead. Uh, I think the low-carbon economy and its realisation does require a public sector initiative and leadership. I mean, this is partly, but only partly, uh, about legislation. Uh, for example, the Climate Change Act uh, sets out the most stringent targets uh, in Scotland for any country in the developed world uh, and therefore provides a direction which gives people certainty uh, that that is what is going to be uh, achieved. It's also worth talking up uh, Scotland's achievements, both within Scotland and overseas, and taking every opportunity to promote what is best about what we're doing in the development of renewable energy. It is a, a fascinating aside, ladies and gentlemen, why the uh, Scottish Government uh, and the Scottish Parliament uh, ended up with legislative uh, competence over climate change, uh, but not, for example, legislative competence over the setting of public holidays in Scotland. Uh, this was because part of one of my predecessors' geniuses, the, uh, Donald Dewar, the, the first First Minister of Scotland, was that when he set the competencies in the Scotland Act, he didn't specify those which were to be devolved, he specified those which were to be reserved to Westminster. Back in 1997, when the devolution legislation was being prepared in the House of Commons, climate change did not figure as something important enough to be reserved, and therefore it was devolved. And therefore the Scottish Parliament ended up with a legislative competence for setting its climate change targets, and of course I would argue and believe that it's risen spectacularly to the occasion, not just setting some of the most ambitious targets in the world, but also doing so by complete cross-party consensus in the last Parliament. But that sets the direction of travel that we are engaged in, a direction of travel which 
to a greater, and I think it will be increasingly greater extent or lesser extent, is being employed elsewhere in the developed world. And that's why since last year's offshore wind conference, uh, the Scottish Government has increased our target for renewable energy generation. We now expect renewables to meet 100% of Scotland's electricity needs as measured uh, by electricity demand. That doesn't mean we'll only have renewable production of electricity in 2020. It means approximately we'll produce twice as much electricity as we need. Half of that will come from renewable power uh, and half from other sources. However, ambition, however laudable on its own, uh, is not sufficient. And therefore, the public sector is taking practical steps to support the offshore wind industry. In March of last year, the Scottish Government published Blue Seas Green Energy, which set out in some detail how we see the development of the offshore wind sector by, for example, highlighting the geographical areas with the most potential for early development of wind energy. We're investing £70 million during the next four years through the National Renewable Infrastructure Fund, and we've established a further £35 million fund for prototyping offshore wind, the Powers Fund, which aims to stimulate £80 million of private sector investment. We've taken a range of steps, for example, the development of the supply chain database, the web portal, to make information and support already available to companies and to potential investors. And we work with the UK government to try and ensure that the energy market reform, as implemented through the Energy Bill, is implemented in a way which provides the correct incentive, but also the regulatory framework for renewable energy producers. The Scottish Government is also working to guarantee that energy can be transmitted from where it's produced to the homes and businesses where it is required. And that's why schemes to develop energy grids <clears throat> are so important, uh, such as the IELTS project, which uh, uh, reported recently our collaboration with the Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, our work with Norway on the possible development of the North Sea grid, which I announced, of course, at this conference last year. And it's also why the Scottish Government have welcomed last week's announcement from Ofgem that's consulting now on plans to accelerate more than £7 billion of investment in Scotland in grid uh, applicability. It is essential uh, that investment is delivered as quickly and as effectively as possible. Uh, Ofgem, and, uh, as a long-standing encouragement, uh, also needs to revive the current outdated approach to locational charging and to reflect the fact that electricity will increasingly come uh, from more remote areas. There is a recognition of the requirement for change now, uh, but the current proposals still need to be adapted to meet the requirements of offshore and island energy producers. So we'll continue to make the case to the regulator that an improved charging structure is vital if we're going to have optimum use of energy resources. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I mentioned earlier that uh, offshore wind has the potential to support approximately 28,000 jobs by 2020. But that will only happen if we equip people with the skills which will enable them to take advantage of opportunities in this growing sector. So the skills investment plan for the energy sector published last year identified key areas for action across the education and training sectors. Over the next four years, we're delivering 2,000 modern apprenticeships specifically for energy and climate change industries. 
Uh, we have launched the uh, United Kingdom's first apprenticeship for wind turbine technicians. We have made an additional £2 million available in the coming year to support a further 1,000 flexible training places, again aimed at this growing energy sector. Uh, now I've made a commitment that the top priority would be to encourage economic growth and promote jobs. Providing training for people to fill skilled vacancies uh, is both a social and an economic necessity. It also encourages companies the availability and the recognition of skills that need to be available from technical level right through to graduate and postgraduate engineering is one of the absolute key incentives, far, far more important in my opinion than, than monetary incentives in terms of the locational attraction of Scotland as the place to do business in this sector. The skilled willing, able workforce, inspired by the concept of the reindustrialization of this country around renewable energy resources, is the key attraction uh, that this country has, mobilizing its engineering tradition and pointing uh, that to the energy resources of the future. So in all of the, the work that's going on, whether it's in providing direct support to industry, working to improve transmission and charging systems, or supporting skills, we act in partnership with the a wider public sector, but also with the private sector. Indeed, one of the major benefits of an event such as this is it encourages exactly that sort of partnership working. Uh, so far, this approach has had significant success. Uh, Lena mentioned some of the key developments that have taken place with companies in the last year, such as Gamesa and Mitsubishi, uh, have announced plans to locate in Scotland to develop their offshore wind interests. Over that year, actually, a total of £300 million of investment in developing offshore wind turbines has already been confirmed. It is estimated there's a potential for £30 billion of investment over the medium term. As Lena Wilson said, that uh, excess, that attractiveness, is being increasingly recognised uh, across the planet. Uh, I've recently visited both Abu Dhabi and China to promote trade and to, to promote that opportunity that Scotland is engaged in. On both occasions, I've been struck by how enthusiastic people were about Scotland's successes in developing renewable energy technologies. In December, for example, the European Marine Energy Centre and the EDA in Orkney signed an agreement with the Ocean University of China to help develop a wave testing device in the Shandong province. Or just two weeks ago, again, I signed a cooperative agreement with Abu Dhabi's Master Institute and Scotland, the first agreement that that great uh, renewable energy institute in, in uh, Abu Dhabi has signed with a, a country as opposed to an individual company. The themes of that agreement included work on developing offshore wind projects at scale and reducing the cost of offshore wind, including work on the range of renewable energy uh, technologies. Uh, that uh, conference at which the uh, agreement was launched, ladies and gentlemen, was addressed by Premier Huen of the People's Republic of China, the, the Prime Minister of the Republic of Korea, uh, the Secretary General of the uh, United Nations. Uh, as you see, I was managing to sneak on to a substantial platform of considerable speakers <coughs> at that conference. But it's a recognition of two things. One, a recognition of the uh, major role that our friends in Abu Dhabi are playing in the, in the uh, promotion of uh, world energy needs and renewable energy as a major oil and gas uh, producer, uh, but also that Scotland now has a very much uh, commanding the interests internationally of the developments that are taking place here. 
because these agreements do make it clear uh, that Scotland is recognised around the world as a renewable energy powerhouse. Abu Dhabi is the location of the United Nations International Renewable Energy Agency, and China is making a huge commitment to the development of renewable energy onshore and is looking increasingly offshore. Now, partnerships such as these uh, demonstrate the worldwide interest in developments in Scotland and show that that developing reputation is the place in Europe uh, for the offshore renewables industry to locate uh, and develop. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that <coughs> reputation is going to be substantially uh, reinforced today. I am delighted to announce that uh, Samsung Heavy Industries will base its first European offshore wind project uh, in Scotland. Uh, Samsung has established <coughs> a strategic agreement with Scottish Enterprise and Fife Council, developed this project, which could result in major manufacturing facilities being established at the Fife Energy Park. The uh, Memorandum of Understanding looks forward to the very, very early development of uh, a testing facility and the potential of £100 million of investment and 500 uh, jobs. Samsung has uh, agreed a multi-million pound partnership with David Brown Gear Systems, who will establish the base at Methyl to design and supply the gearbox system uh, for a new 7-megawatt offshore turbine. Now, this announcement is fantastic news for Samsung, for Fife, and for Scotland. And uh, I'm delighted, ladies and gentlemen, that we have with us today uh, Mr. Rowe, the Chief Executive Officer of, of Samsung, uh, and also Ambassador Chu of the Republic of, of Korea. They are with us in the audience today. And please acknowledge this uh, major investment in Scotland. Mr. Rowe is uh, paying his first ever uh, visit to Scotland, ladies and gentlemen, but already he has been a, become a connoisseur of some of the finest malt whiskies uh, across, this, uh, across this nation. Now, this uh, is uh, another significant step forward uh, as Scotland becomes Europe's main European centre uh, for research and development in new offshore technologies. It's further evidence and proof of Scotland's continuing and substantially increasing ability to secure investment from major global companies, and it sends out a clear message uh, that Scotland is a world-class location for investment in clean energy. It also shows how clean energy will help us reindustrialize the Scottish economy as we make the turbines and devices that will power both Scotland and the wider world into the future. Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, great challenges ahead in, in the development of offshore wind. We have a, a target uh, to reduce costs by some 30 to 40 percent to 100 pound per uh, megawatt hour and uh, beyond that. To do that, we have to do three things. We have to upscale the potential of the turbines to meet the vast marine resource and spaces that, that we have. Uh, we have to uh, develop the uh, industry using the, the great human expertise and human capital that we've acquired over almost half a century of uh, the development of oil and gas. We actually know more about the waters around Scotland than just about any country in the world knows about the waters, thanks to the 
the centuries of expertise in our fishing industry and the half a century of expertise of our oil and gas industry. Uh, and we have to, as the IELTS project demonstrated, because of the, the nature of this industry and the costs of development, we have to develop the infrastructure in such a way as creates the, the greatest efficiency so as we can transport electricity thousands of kilometres without a, a major loss in, in transmission efficiency. These are the, uh, the objectives and, and these are the opportunities which will allow not just the reduction in costs, which I know this conference will focus on tomorrow, but take us beyond that to make this uh, offshore wind energy competitive, not just in supplying Scotland, not just in supplying Europe, but of course the technologies which we uh, develop in this great adventure will be applicable right across this planet. These are the opportunities and challenges which lie uh, before us. Now, the supply chain <coughs> involved in this process, and gearboxes are just one example of this, will provide opportunities for a host of manufacturing and supply companies in Scotland. We'll be mobilising our historic strength in innovation and engineering and manufacturing. They'll be put to use in developing some of the key technologies of the 21st century. Offshore wind, as I said a few minutes ago, presents huge opportunities in research and development and the sale of electricity in manufacturing and engineering. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, companies in Scotland uh, and around the world be enthusiastic in seizing these opportunities. The conference will allow you to find out more about how you can do so as well, how the public sector uh, intends to assist. I wish uh, you all the best uh, for this conference, but leave you with this last thought. <clears throat> for my uh, New Year message, I... Uh, I uh, spoke in the, the National Museum uh, of Scotland, uh, the newly refurbished uh, National Museum uh, uh, of Scotland. Uh, uh, at its opening in the, in the summer, uh, uh, I was shown round by uh, uh, Sir Angus uh, Grossert, who's the chairman of the, the museum board. <clears throat> the museum uh, costs some £50 million pounds of uh, public uh, investment, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and as a kind of uh, party piece, as I was being shown round by... Uh, Angus, uh, I, I caused him great fear, alarm, and consternation by stopping one in three of the throngs of people because the museum has had a million visitors since its opening uh, last summer. And asking the, the people, I said, look, this cost £50 million pounds and this, uh, this great uh, <clears throat> economic difficulty we're having at the present moment, do you think it was worth the investment? Uh, every time I asked this, uh, Angus looked with some consternation and trepidation about what the answer was going to be from the, uh, the people. And every single one of them, much to Angus's satisfaction and relief, said, yes, absolutely uh, worth the investment. In that museum, ladies and gentlemen, uh, are some of the, the great exhibits of the machines and innovation which have transformed the, the modern world. You'll see James Watt's uh, steam engine. Uh, you'll see uh, Alexander, Alexander Fleming's uh, Nobel laureate for the discovery of, uh, of penicillin. You'll see John Logie Baird's first colour television set, produced and working in 1932 as one of the range of exhibits. Uh, I think uh, that museum in another generation or so will have exhibits from the pioneering the potential of the renewable energy systems of Scotland. And I, I think the work that's going on 
in this industry, the potential it has for the transformation of power potential across the planet is of that level of significance. I think the opportunities are great, as they should be, for commercial development, for, for profitable enterprise as we produce this industry. But I do absolutely believe we'll look back in a generation and see the innovation and developments that are taking place in this industry taking their place among the panoply of innovation and inventiveness which has been the mark of the, the Scot through the ages. And each and every one of us, domestically and our friends internationally, it will look back with pride in terms of the role that we have played in the transformation of the power supplies of this planet to being compatible with the future of this planet. Thank you very much indeed.